0: So uh, a retreat like this comes together through many, many different um, acts of generosity and kindness, and Alice certainly has been a mainstay of coordinating it, so thank you very much. And, and uh, Jim, her husband, came over last night to unload cushions, and there's a whole little team of people who've been involved with making this happen. And so, you know, as we spend the day together, we can also know that in order for something like this to take place, there are many people involved in supporting the conditions to come together. So it's, it's a special uh, occasion. Um, I wanted to start this morning by helping us to settle into something that takes us outside of our own personal stories. So, you know, a lot of our world is really about navigating our ideas, our thoughts, our feelings, our sensations, the the stuff of our mind and bodies. And a lot of it has to do with what we think and what we feel. And there's a whole huge part of meditation practice, which is about learning skill and working with the things that we think and that we feel. And I would not ever under any circumstance underestimate how important that is. And yet, if the whole of our meditation practice is about developing skill and balance with what we think and what we feel, we've really only kept it to a very small fraction of what practice is really about. So you know, one of the things that we're interested in doing is to connect with uh, a source, something that is uh, beyond thoughts and feelings and views and opinions and the sensations of our body. It's beyond our identity, our culture, our ethnicity, our gender, our sexual orientation. And yet, it's not at the expense of any of them. So, to begin a retreat situation by taking the refuges and the precepts is more than just kind of affirming blue-card-chip Buddhist stuff. (laughs) It's actually tying us to a framework that helps us connect with a much bigger sphere. So when we take refuge in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha, you know, the thing about that which can be hard for people is if they don't ascribe themselves to being Buddhist or self-identifying with being Buddhist, then sometimes it's hard to get a sense of how they can also take refuge and have it be meaningful for them. But when you look at the definition of the Buddha, there are different levels and layers to it. And one layer of taking refuge in the Buddha certainly is to take refuge in the, in, the, in the mind of awakening that was embodied by a particular person that lived 2,600 years ago. But when we look at it from another perspective, it isn't that mind, it's the mind of awakening. So the word Buddha means the awakened one. And so when we take refuge in Buddha, we are taking refuge in that which is awakened. When we take refuge in the Dhamma, one of the gifts of being part of a Buddhist tradition is that the legacy is vast. The instructions are clear. And there's many, many different ways of bringing teachings to a variety of temperaments and and inclinations, and so when we take refuge in the Dhamma we we can claim this as our heritage. And yet for people who don't self-identify as being Buddhist, the Dhamma is not limited to the Tripitaka that the Buddha uh, expounded, the Pali scriptures and the Vinaya and the Abhidhamma. What the Dhamma is actually speaking about or speaking to is the truth of the way things are in the present moment. And so when we look at that, you know, nobody's got a monopoly on that, you know. And so people can feel a comfort and beginning to feel connected and feeling a sense of uh, refuge that the truth of the way things are can bring. When we look at the sangha, you know, traditionally the Buddha described the sangha was a twofold sangha of monks and nuns. In uh, contemporary North America, the word sangha is used for any two people who sit together, and so this definition has kind of very much different than what the Buddha's intention was. My own personal feeling is this is that you know we need to expand what sangha means and rather than it be the two-fold sangha or the many fold or four-fold assembly, which was of monks and nuns and laymen and laywomen. You know, we are beyond binary definitions of all kinds of things, including gender, and there's more than just monks and nuns. We've got people who are priests, and we've got people who are in between. And so, you know, for me, what I feel is needed is a many-fold sangha. So I will take the North American Western adaptation and spread it out so that it includes everybody, all of us practicing together. So when we look at the traditional definition of Sangha, what we're looking at is the people who've actually awakened. You know, what it's like to hang out with people who actually have some insight, who actually have seen really clearly the difference between the thoughts and the feelings that they have and the mind that knows them, that really actually understand what happens when things fall away, and who they are when everything falls away. And so to get a sense of that, and to be in the presence of people who know that, who live that, who embody that, who breathe that, who speak that, that's really what the Sangha is about. It's not limited to precepts, it's defined by realization, and when we look at that in this kind of a context, it's the community of people who aspire to awaken, and we need to support each other. You know, we can't do this on our own. It's like this is not a I don't know. This is not a uh, a do-it-yourself job. <laughs> So we each individually have to make the effort, and yet what we do in the way we support each other, the way we practice together, the way we show up together, the way we are willing to wake up together, is really um, our community endeavor. So the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha on one hand traditionally is the way of uh, defining oneself as being Buddhist. But when we look at the definition of Buddha as the awakened mind, Dharma as the truth of the way things are, and Sangha as those who have realized, it's not limited to Buddhists. You know, we cannot claim monopoly on this. You know, so what I, I love that you know that kind of the ironies about the the quintessential way that Buddhists have traditionally identified with themselves. There's no monopoly on know to me there's something about that which is actually quite beautiful the point of all of this is to connect us with source now jim had found some um alice's husband had found some prayer flags and strung them out on the occasion so that was his way of supporting uh the weekend retreat and i looked at them and some of these prayers are they some of these quotes on these prayer flags have the most beautiful things. And I was thinking, I just just noticed them when I was standing out before Hugh was going to... And I thought, well, you know, I'd love to write them down because they'd be perfect to read, and guess what? They're made on the pillows. There is something formless and perfect before the universe was born. It is serene, empty, solitary, unchanging, infinite. It was never born, and thus it can never die. It is the mother of the universe. It flows through all things. It has no desire for itself. Thus it is present for all beings. This is Lao Tzu. And this one. If you don't realize the source, you stumble in confusion and sorrow. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) When you realize where you come from, you naturally become tolerant, disinterested, amused, kind-hearted as a grandmother, dignified as a king, immersed in the wonder of the Tao, you can deal with whatever life brings you, and when death comes, you are ready. This is another quote from Lao Tzu. So the value of refuges is to connect us with source, to take us in a framework out of the immediacy of our personalized stories and connect us with something which is vast. Refuge has in it the possibility of bringing us to source. But most of the time when we have any kind of ceremony, we don't know how to use it as a porthole. We cling to the form. And that's not the point of it. The point of it is to use it as a porthole. To actually journey from the way our minds habitually grab onto stuff and to begin to loosen that grip and journey into an entirely new way of being. It's not meant to be a a ritual that we attach and identify with the external structure, but as a portal to take us into another way of being. The precepts set the container where we have a clear sense of the kind of framework of what we're working with. And for me, you know, I have so deeply appreciated having that kind of clear ground in the Theravon tradition, because as we are navigating this transition from attachment to identity into something other, the experience is often one of groundlessness, of not knowing who we are, or where we stand. And when we are tethered by a clear framework of precepts, of having a clear sense of what is okay and what is not okay, then we can navigate that journey in a way where we're safe and the people around us are safe. Because what can happen for people as the softening around the tenacity of who we take ourselves to be begins to happen, is is that we lose our perspective and as we lose our perspective if we have within us a deeply seated understanding of a framework of what is not to be done things that are not to be done then in that journey we don't make the mistake of kind of a lashing out or grabbing hold of stuff or doing things because we don't have another identity that we're holding on to. So within the tradition that I have come from and spent all these decades, the precepts are really important, you know, really important to have a clear sense of what they are and how they function. There's lots of space over here, if you want to come. She she's with <coughs> okay. okay. So, um, how does that sound? Does that sound okay? Yeah. So what I'd like to recommend we do is we start with just a little bit of chanting. And um, again, not as some kind of a ritual, of just mumbling words but to let the words be ways that we can connect with the meaning and let the meaning be a way that takes us to the source. Okay? So when we start, we start with paying homage to the Buddha. We start with paying homage to the awakened one. Um, join in with me three times. <speaking Finnish> Namo itasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambhudasa Namo itasa bhagavatu arahatu asama Namo itasa bhagavatu now I'm going to repeat Buddha um, and Chami and please repeat after me, okay? This is I take refuge in the Buddha. And so let the words be an opportunity for you to connect with the meaning. Buddha and Chami Damang Sarananga Chami Damang sarananga, sarananga, sarananga Chami Sangang Sarananga Chami Sanganga Chami Dutian P means for the second time. Buddhate amh bhutaṃ saraṇaṃ gacchāmi Dhutiyāṃ bhuddhassa saraṇaṃ gacchāmi <coughs> Datiyampi means for the third time. Datiyampi putang chami. chami. So now the precepts, the Pali is a little hard if you're not familiar with it. So let's recite in English. Repeat after me. I undertake the training precept to refrain from harming any living creatures. I undertake the training precept. I undertake the training precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the training precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training precept to refrain from incorrect speech. I undertake, the to refrain from I, undertake the I undertake the training precept to refrain from intoxicating drinks and drugs which cause hastenness. I undertake the training precept to refrain from intoxicating drinks and drugs which cause heedlessness. Okay. Hmm. So, in order to surrender to love, we need to have a basis to do that from. And to have a basis to do that from, for most of us, means that we need to actually have a body that we're connected to. So, what I'd like to do today is to spend the morning time getting ourselves settled and connected to our physical body, and then see if through in doing that, we can begin to get some feeling for the flavors and the textures, of how we can experience love and what that means. So this weekend is going to be a uh, a graduated course. It's not going to be that we're starting the same thing today that will happen tomorrow. And so it's um, the what we do today will be built on. We'll, what we do tomorrow will be built on what we're doing today. Now it, it takes quite an effort for most people to um, carve out two days. and it certainly took a lot of effort for Alice and the whole community here to put this together. It doesn't happen that often, you know. And so what I would like to suggest is is that because our habits around speech tend to be so ingrained, that we we tend to get lost in conversations and lost in habits of thinking and ways of relating without mindfulness, that if it's possible to keep the day a day of noble silence, and then for those of you for whom this is not going to be a, a nightmare for your family, to continue after the day finishes just quietly or reflectively, then, then the momentum of what we do today we can bring with us again for tomorrow, okay? And so just as a way of, of working with what we're dealing with here, yeah? And, and, uh, and then seeing how this all unfolds. For those of you who, um, for whom this is not going to be a workable situation with your families, to be nobly silent, then to take care not to watch um, movies and... DVDs and um, you know, stuff like that so that the mind is not impacted with all that kind of stimulation welcome welcome Elliot, there's a place here So what I'd like to do is to start everybody with standing meditation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.